Welcome to the Philly Prime Podcast. I'm Dave Schratweiser, and it's the talk of the town this week. The Eagles playoff game coming up Monday night. A disaster last weekend against the Giants. Everybody's all over the place on this, and no be- no one better to talk about this this time around. Bill Calarulo Jr. He's from Legal Hands to the Face and Philly Sports Power Hour. Bill, thanks for coming on the show. Let's talk some Eagles. Yeah, man, I wish it was under better circumstances. Things are not feeling good right now with this Eagles team, but always fun talking to you, Dave. Well, let's talk about this a little bit. The vibe in Philadelphia and out here in the suburbs, I'm in Ocean City. We'll talk about the vibe down here a little bit. But what what are you sensing from people in Philadelphia just about, A, the loss to the Giants the other day, backing into the playoffs, and now we got to play Monday night against the Buccaneers on Monday Night Football? It's crazy. I cannot remember a time, as an Eagles fan, that there was this feeling in the city heading into a playoff game. Fans have completely checked out. I post daily content on my social media platforms. I have tons of fans messaging me saying, give up, bro. Season's over. This team stinks. And they're in the playoffs, and they have a real yeah. shot, as crazy as it is, to beat yeah. Bucks. I don't know if they can do anything else, but look, I don't blame the fans. Not only mm. was it that Giants game you look at the last six games Mm. and this Eagles team is playing some of the worst football in the entire NFL but it's just crazy you remember the days when we were hanging jerseys and things on Willie Penn yeah not doing that this year yeah I mean I I don't even know if they're like prepping downtown to see if they you know if they win if there's any kind of celebration um talk to me about uh what happened last Sunday against the Giants um I think people were looking for something good going into the playoffs and what they got was a complete bomb i mean uh listen i grew up in new york i'm a giants fan when they play the eagles other than that i'm with the eagles but i gotta tell you i i felt good for the giants but i felt horrible for the eagles i was kind of like wow i really thought they put their best foot forward in that game at least the first half and they they laid an egg Yeah, the topic all week leading into that game was, should the Eagles play their starters? Because the game only mattered if the Cowboys lost to the Commanders, which was unlikely. But I was of the belief they needed to play their starters because the mojo hadn't been right in weeks. You wanted Mm -hmm. to do, like you said, get that kind of positive vibe going forward into the playoffs. So I was okay with them playing their starters. And in the first half, if you looked up at the scoreboard, the Cowboys were actually losing to the Commanders. And if the Eagles would have beaten the Giants when the Cowboys were losing, they they ended up dominating. But they had a shot to jump up to a two-seed, win the NFC East. So they did want to win that football game. And they got embarrassed in that first half. 24-0. They gave up 14 first downs. They let the Giants put up over 270 yards of offense. And you're talking about a Giants offense that's one of the worst in the Mm -hmm. NFL dominated on both sides of the football. But the most frustrating part for me, and this is something they have to clean up this week, was what they did against the Blitz. It seemed as if they had zero plan for Mm -hmm. the Blitz. And it shouldn't have been a surprise, Dave. You look at Wink Martindale. Sure, that's all he does is Blitz. And he's now been relieved of his duties with the New York Giants. But second highest blitzing team in the NFL, and you only had to go back two weeks to week 16. They blitzed Jalen Hurts 83% of the time in that game. And you look at this game on Sunday, they had zero plan for the blitz. It shouldn't have been a surprise at all, and they better fix it because on Monday night against the Bucs, the Bucs are the number three 
most blitzing defense, and they blitzed Jalen 75% of the time way back in week three. So that was the thing that was frustrating for me. Nick Sirianni, Brian Johnson, looking like they had zero plan Mm. for a blitz that everybody knew was coming. Now, let me ask you a question. Some of the guys up in the gym I work at Monday morning was buzzing about this. Um, and the consensus seemed to be that since they lost their offensive coordinator, the defensive coordinator in the offseason brought in new guys, they just don't seem to be able to adjust on the fly in the game. And that, that's one thing you're talking They should have planned on the blitz, but when it came, they should have made some adjustments to, to at least – you know, move the ball. It didn't even look like that. It looked nothing like that. Yeah, and it's been a big loss, Shane Steichen. You know, we, we thought Shane Steichen was a great play caller, the offensive coordinator last season, and he proved it again going to Indianapolis and doing what he did with Gardner Minshew yeah. as his quarterback. He did a yeah. really nice job. They just yeah. missed out on the playoffs. Yeah. But that has certainly been a complaint that a lot of fans have had with Brian Johnson as the offensive coordinator is, look, I have my problems with the personnel on defense, and we can talk about Howie Roseman. I think he should be blamed for what you're seeing on defense. But when you look at that offense, there is no reason why they're not dominating four quarters every single game. They have, on paper, one of the best offenses in the NFL. I put that offense on paper up against anybody. They have the best offensive line in football. They have arguably the best wide receiver duo with A.J. Brown and Devontae Smith. Absolutely. Top three tight ends in Dallas Goddard. They added another playmaker in DeAndre Swift. There's no reason they're not dominating outside of I have a real problem with not only the in-game adjustments by Brian Johnson and Nick Sirianni, but the game plan, the play calling, the play designs. It seems to be that they just have never gotten into any sort of rhythm. And now, unfortunately, playoffs are here and they still haven't fixed it. Yeah, now they didn't have Swift obviously on uh, on Sunday, but Dallas Goddard, if I if I remember correctly, caught one pass for four yards in that game. I mean, how is that possible? I mean, the backup tight end did well with the second team when they were in there, but Dallas Goddard one one reception for four yards. And, and that's been the frustrating thing is yeah, what you want from your offensive coordinator is you want them to be able to design plays that get your playmakers the ball in space. And one thing everybody loves to talk about, Dave, is yards after catch. Yes. Mm -hmm. Well, the Eagles were one of the best teams in the NFL last year. They were like top five in average yards after catch. They dropped into the low 20s this season. Same personnel. So what's the difference? They're not designing plays. They get their playmakers ball in space. And that's been a problem not only with Dallas Goddard, but over the last few weeks, A.J. Brown and Devontae Smith. So, hey, maybe there's a miracle coming, but I don't see it. Yeah, I mean, listen, they're going to have Devontae Smith back. Hopefully, AJ's okay. Uh, Swift will be back. You know, hopefully, they, they have the full contingent going into Monday night. Um, let me ask you a quick question. You know, they were one in five the last six games. It seemed like the wheels came off when the 49ers pounded them. Is that when this all starts to fall apart, Bill, in your opinion? You know, I've debated this on my show a few different times because I think if you go all the way back to week one, this Eagles team has been trying to tell us who they were all season long. They really haven't dominated anybody outside of a few games. So I don't think they were as good as everybody was hoping anyway. But it's certainly the straw that broke the camel's back was that San Francisco 49ers game. And one Mm -hmm. of the things that I always touted Nick Sirianni for is I thought he was very good 
at building a strong culture. It seemed that this culture had been stronger than it's ever been. Right. And that I always said, hey, this team can really battle adversity. But then when I think about it, up until that 49ers game, when has this team really battled adversity over the last three years? Yeah. Year one, there were no expectations. So although they started two and five, they had Jalen Hurts his first year as a starter, Nick Sirianni, a new coach. No one had expectations, so there wasn't much adversity. Last year, they pretty much dominated everybody outside mm -hmm. of Hurts getting hurt for two games. Right. Pretty easy year, even through the playoffs. So this year, the first time they really faced adversity – was when they got punched in the mouth by the San Francisco 49ers. And you're right. They have never been able to recover. And one of the major concerns was, if you remember that game, Nick Bosa says after the game, we just gave the blueprint mm. on how to beat the Philadelphia Eagles. I hope the Dallas Cowboys were yeah. watching. Yeah. And since that point, Dave, six games. Yeah. They're one and five. But even worse, they have a negative 59-point differential in the last six and a negative eight turnover differential in the last six. You compare that to the Bucks, who they right. have to play on Monday night, five and one in the last six, plus 38-point differential, plus five turnover differential. This could get ugly on Monday. So uh, back in September, the Eagles beat the Bucks 25 to 11. Um, do you throw that out and go from scratch here Monday night, or do you look at that game and say, this is what worked in that game, try a little bit of that, update a little bit of this. And then we're going to talk about uh, red zone defense in a minute because I heard your podcast this morning yeah. on Instagram and uh, you were talking a little bit about how strong the Bucks are in the red zone and the Eagles haven't been getting it done in the red zone. They've been walking away with field goals when they should walk away with touchdowns. But that, that game back in September, does that mean anything? That was way early in the season. Eagles won 25 to 11. Your thoughts on whether that carries through at all or the game plan does? So, obviously, they're different teams now than they were then. Mm -hmm. Philadelphia Eagles have a different defensive coordinator now, right. which is – I still don't agree with that decision. Yeah. But the crazy thing is, is when you go back to week three, the Philadelphia Eagles put up over 200 yards rushing in that football game. They ran the ball 40 times. They averaged five yards per carry. Mm -hmm. And the crazy thing is, you look at this Bucks defense, they have a top five rushing defense in the NFL. The Eagles put up by far the most rushing yards against them in week three that they've given up all season long. In fact, only two other teams even put up 150 yards mm. against this defense. So I'd love to see the Eagles be able to come out and establish the run. But outside of that game against the Eagles in week three, the Bucs are able to stop the run. Yeah. The one thing they don't do well is stop the pass. They're yeah. 29th in the league in stopping the pass. And I was talking earlier, they blitz a ton, third mm. most in the league in week three, the one positive, because I know fans are looking for some positive, right? The one positive is they did blitz Jalen hurts 75% of the time. And he actually did pretty well against the blitz in that game. He threw for over 270 yards mm -hmm. completion percentage over 63%, two interceptions, which they, which they need to clean up, but all in all 470 yards of offense in that game. So yeah, if we're looking for some positive, maybe they can duplicate that. Mm -hmm. My main concern, though, is they haven't looked like that team. That may be their best win when you look back at the whole season, mm -hmm. but they haven't been that same team over the last six weeks. But, hey, it's zero and zero. Maybe something new can happen. Yeah. And they did do a good job. You flip it to the other side of the football. Eagles did a really good job on defense in that game, holding them to 11 points. 
The Bucs can't run the football. They're one of the worst rushing right. offenses in mm-hmm. the league. As good as the Eagles were, you look at the first nine games of the season, they only let one team rush for over 100 yards, and that was an overtime game against the Commanders. They were given up on average through the first nine, 66 yards. Mm-hmm. You now look at the last eight games. Every single team has rushed for over 100 yards, and they're giving up on average 137, more than double what they did the first nine. So the question is, can this Eagles run defense get back to being a dominant run defense against a really bad rushing offense? If they can do that and make the Bucks one-dimensional, then I think they got a chance to shut down Mike Evans, Chris Godwin, and this passing game that the Bucs have. Well, I was going to ask you about the two wide receivers for the Bucs. They're two of the best in the business. They're, I don't think they're up to Devontae Smith and A.J. Brown. But they're right there. And Mike Evans, you can't ever count that guy out because he's a wily veteran, been around for a long time, played in big games. Tom Brady was throwing him balls, you know, for two seasons. He was there, that kind of thing. Uh, how important is it to shut those two guys down here if you do what you're talking about? They don't get the running game going and they got to go to those two guys. You really got to clamp down on them and you can't have the kind of plays that we saw them give up against the Giants. I mean, I saw some abysmal uh, defensive back play in that game and it was just like amazing how the Giants were finding spots uh and listen give Tyrod Taylor his his due uh he he had quite a game against the Eagles but they didn't offer much uh, resistance let me put it that way yeah that's definitely going to be key now big news Darius Slay is coming back for this game he's been out for a few weeks Mm -hmm. the question now though is what do the Philadelphia Eagles do in the secondary because James Bradbury former Giant that you probably know well Mm -hmm. as good as he played last season has taken a massive step backwards this year one of the worst D-backs on the team Mm -hmm. but they got a lot of money wrapped up in him now the question is do the Philadelphia Eagles say hey look rookie Keely Ringo has been playing pretty well When Slay comes back, we don't care how much we're paying James Bradbury. We're going to roll with Slay and Ringo. I'd love to see it because Ringo will make mistakes. He's a young rookie. He's going to make some mistakes, but he's big. He's physical. And Mm -hmm. that's what you're going to need against a guy like Mike Evans. And I would focus on, I know Chris Godwin is also good, but just make somebody other than Mike Evans beat you in this football game. If you need to bracket coverage over him, do what you need to do because, yes, stop the run early. Make them get into third and long situations. Bracket coverage, double team, whatever you need to do to Mike Evans and mm-hmm. make Chris Godwin win this football game for the Tampa Bay Bucks. I think if they can do that, there's a real shot that they can shut down this offense again. But then we got to talk about the front four because yeah. as good as they were last year, 70 sacks, leading the, leading the NFL, setting a record for sacks, they have not been very good this year, especially over the last few games. In fact, Ruben Frank put out a stat this morning. Philadelphia Eagles didn't have a sack in the last four games from an edge rusher. That's the first time in 18 years. And over the last eight weeks, they had the third fewest sacks in the entire NFL, only behind the Panthers and the Cardinals, two terrible teams. So oh my gosh. this defensive line has hit a wall. Can they get a second wind here going into the playoffs? That's what made them so good last year. This year, they've really struggled, and they got to get pressure on Baker Mayfield. And that's put pressure on the linebackers. The guys uh, in my gym were talking about Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday. 
the linebackers, the linebackers, the linebackers. If the D line isn't performing, the, the middle, the linebackers have to step up, and that hasn't been happening. I mean, they've been ripping off some good runs against them. They've been dumping balls into the flat, uh, bubble screen stuff like that, and just not getting there. How important of a role are they playing in this game as well? Yeah, and that's when I mentioned earlier that I blame Howie Roseman a lot for what you're seeing on the defensive side of the football is all offseason. One of the things that I had a major issue with was the linebacker position, and a lot of people did. I didn't like that they were coming into this season putting all of their hopes on a guy in the Kobe Dean who had only played 34 career snaps in the NFL. Mm-hmm. They let TJ Edwards walk, who played over 94% of the snaps last year, led your defense in tackles, was the signal caller on defense. They let Kazir White walk, another starter. And they came into this year, and Howie Roseman, like he usually does, devalued that position. And the moment that Kobe Dean went down, they're trying to run this defense now with aftermarket parts. They got mm-hmm. Nick Morrow from the Bears, who they were more than fine letting him walk and taking TJ Edwards. Right. Then they had to bring in Zach Cunningham during training camp, Miles Jack during training camp, who retired a week after they brought him in. And then things got so bad, the Colts, when they cut Shaq Leonard, Eagles had to make a move and bring in Shaq Leonard. None of these linebackers are guys that are real playmakers in this league anymore. Shaq Leonard's not the same guy he used right. to be. Nick Morrow was available for a reason. Zach Cunningham was available for a reason. So I don't know how you can scheme this up to protect these linebackers, but they're just not very good players right now. And it's certainly an area that the Bucs will try to exploit, not only in the running game, but like you mentioned too, with some of these pass plays over the middle, it's been tough. It's been really tough to watch. Praying that Zach Cunningham and Shaq Leonard maybe can have a resurgence now that the playoffs are here. But again, hopeful, but not expecting it. All right, let's talk about the two quarterbacks real quick. Baker Mayfield, uh, he's coming in to this playoff game kind of on a little bit of a hot streak, not statistically, but they're winning games. They're coming in on a winning note. Jalen, on the other hand, coming in, doesn't have his head down, but uh, compare the two quarterbacks going into this game and what has to happen on on the Bucs side and what has to happen from Jalen. Yeah, Baker Mayfield, high draft pick a few years back with the Cleveland Browns, then bounced around, went to Carolina, and now he's in Tampa. He's not a superstar by any means. I mean, you look at him and Jalen Hurts, you would say the advantage by far would be Jalen Hurts. But one of the things that Baker Mayfield has done really well this season is protecting the football. And that's something that Jalen Hurts hasn't done very well. Bucks only have turned the ball over 18 times this year. That's top six in the league. Eagles have turned it over 28 times, which Mm -hmm. is 23rd in the league. So I think what you're going to see from Baker Mayfield is he's going to play a very efficient style of offense. He's not going to take a lot of risks. He's going to try to get the ball out of his hands quickly Mm -hmm. to avoid that D-line getting any pressure on him. And he's going to just take what the Eagles give him. And one of the problems a lot of people have with this defense is our secondary doesn't play very close to the line of scrimmage. They play far off the ball. They give up a lot of short passes because Nick Sirianni's mentality and his defensive coordinators have to follow the head coach's mentality is don't give up the big play. That's what it's all about. Don't give up the big play. But what we've seen over the last few weeks is teams are fine and content on just going on these long, methodical drives down the field. And if the Eagles are going to sit back 
and let Baker Mayfield get the ball out of his hands quickly to Mike Evans and Chris Godwin and Rashad White out Mm -hmm. of the backfield, it's going to be a long game. So I would like to see the Eagles get up in these receivers' face, play a physical brand of football, force Baker Mayfield to have to make decisions to not open receivers and maybe get him to turn the ball over. And on the flip side with Jalen Hurts, he's got to protect the football. Mm. Has to. Turnovers are the only way I could see the Eagles losing this game. If they lose the turnover battle, they're going to lose this football game. But their mm. roster is so much better than the Bucs that if Jalen Hurts can just protect the ball and Nick Sirianni and Brian Johnson can commit to the run, even if it's not working, it's working. Mm. Don't make yourselves one-dimensional. Have the Bucks at least worried about your running game. You put up over 200 yards in week three. Make them stop the run, and that will open everything up for this offense. So protect the football, establish the run, and I think you will see this Eagles offense be able to put up points. But you mentioned earlier red zone, and we do need to talk about it. All right, Swift is the key here, correct? He had 100-plus against them week three. DeAndre Swift had one of his best games back-to-back. They played week two. First of all, week one, it was amazing. They only give him one carry. Yeah, He then comes out in week two against the Vikings, put up over 175 yards on the ground. Right. He does it again against the Tampa Bay Bucks. So Buck 30? Is that what he had against the Bucks? I think. Yeah, over 130 yards rushing. Yeah. So it was a really good game for the running game. And I just hope that they continue to do that this week because we've seen it over and over. I talk about Nick Sirianni's mentality with his defense not giving up a big play. I do think that's been something that's hurt them on offense is constantly going for the big play. Instead of taking what the defense is giving you, instead of going on these long drives and keeping your weakest part of your team, your defense, on the sidelines, they try constantly for these explosive plays. And you hear Sirianni talk about it all the time, explosive Mm -hmm. plays. But what happens when you have a philosophy like that is what we saw against the Seattle Seahawks. You needed 13 yards for a field goal. Instead, he throws a bomb to A.J. Brown. You saw it in week six, I believe, against the Commanders. All they had to do was run out the clock and kick a game-winning field goal. They throw a bomb to A.J. Brown. That's their philosophy, and I just hope going into the playoffs, they realize the formula and our identity should be establish the run, win the time of possession battle, keep our defense on the sidelines, and we have a chance to win some football games. And they have to get up in this game, correct? You don't want to start playing from behind right off the bat because that's going to take you off that game plan right away yeah and not only that is look it's always good to get a lead early because Mm -hmm. you can't establish the run and you get the momentum but this team needs some mojo dave i mean if they Mm -hmm. go down early i'm curious what that body language will look like because one of the major issues coming out of that giants game was it looked like a team that checked out on their coaching staff it looked like a team that said we don't have any belief in what we're being told we're done which is a shock when you still have a playoff game to play. So my right. concern is if the Bucks come out and either stop the offense three and out or worse, go on a long drive themselves to take an early lead, I'm worried that you're going to see that body language and you're going to see a team that just says, hey, you know what, not our year. Yeah, and you saw that body language on Sunday, and then when A.J. went down, it seemed to get worse. Uh, and you're starting to notice, like, what's going on on the sideline it, it it didn't seem like anybody was like fired up to get back in there and take the game back from the Giants. And the Giants just kept pounding and pounding and going at it. Like, clearly, they had nothing to lose. They weren't going into the playoffs. They wanted to end with a win. 
No doubt about that. So a few guys had to prove a few things. I think that happened for them. But the bottom line is I just didn't see any vigor, any vim, anything from the Eagles as far as pushing back. No, and Nick Sirianni had to wave the white flag and take his starters out of that game for all the wrong reasons, not because the Cowboys were up big, not because the Eagles were up big, just because not only were they getting dominated, it was going to get worse because they didn't have any fight in them. And the one play that showed me that they had zero fight, the Philadelphia Eagles come out to do their brotherly shove. And I don't know if you remember, Bobby Okereke, the linebacker for the Giants, decides to try to time up the snap and do a Troy Palomalu over the line and (laughs) drills Jalen Hurts in the head. Not a single player on the Eagles' offense reacted to that. I'm not saying you got to fight the guy, but somebody gets in his face and says, hey, you're not going to hit our quarterback like that. Yeah, that's our guy. You're not doing that. There was nothing, Dave. And that was something I said, man, this team is done. They're they're done. They got no fight in them. All right. Before we go to the red zone – Fletcher in the locker room after the game um, was talking a lot, uh, tried to stay positive, talked about the veteran guys in the locker room, talked about the young guys, talked about the veteran, their need to lead the young guys here, um, that kind of thing. This is a very veteran squad, and you got to believe, or you got to hope, I should say, that that's going to make them bounce back here. Like all week long, they're going to say, listen, watch what we do. Follow what we do. We've been here before, and we're going to show you how to get a W on Monday night. That's got to come here. If that's not there all week long, and I'm not over there covering practice or anything like that, if that's not there and that doesn't show on Monday night, uh, this could end rather poorly uh, Monday night uh, by 11 o'clock probably. Yeah, all offseason we kept talking about the Super Bowl hangover because it's not easy to get back to a Super Bowl after losing it. Mm -hmm. Only six coaches ever have done that, and they're all legends. You're talking about Tom Landry and the 71 Cowboys, Don Shula and the 72 Dolphins, Bud Grant and the 73 Vikings, Dan Reeves and the 86 Broncos, Marv Levy and the Buffalo Bills teams in the 90s, and then Bill Belichick in 2018. I mean, legends. But the one thing that I felt good about, and I kept saying this Eagles team has a chance to overcome that Super Bowl hangover, was because of the veteran leaders like you're talking about. Justin Kelsey, Fletcher Cox, Brandon Graham, even Lane Johnson. But my concern is you didn't see this veteran leadership get this team to respond after they got dominated by the Niners. Mm -hmm. They didn't respond after they got dominated by the Cowboys. They didn't respond after giving up a 92-yard drive to a backup quarterback in Drew Locke in under two minutes in Seattle. They didn't respond after getting dominated by Jonathan Gannon and the Arizona Cardinals in your own building. So what makes us think now, simply because the playoffs is here, that this leadership group and this team is finally going to respond? I hope you're right, because this may be the last game you see Jason Kelsey in an Eagles uniform, the last time you see Fletcher Cox, and the last time you see Brandon Graham. Three legends in this town that are all-time great Eagles, so maybe – now, finally, their voice will be heard as, listen, guys, this may be our last run. We need mm-hmm. you to play the hardest you've ever played because we don't want to go out like this. We'll see. All right, Bill, we've been ta- you've been dying to talk about the red zone defense all day. You did it on your show. Talk to me about the key there. The Bucks are really, really good in the red zone. They are really good in the red zone. I mean, you look at that Bucks defense. We talked about it earlier. They give up a lot of passing yards, 29th in the league. They give up a lot of total yards, being 23rd in the league. But somehow, 
They're number six in giving up points. They've only given up 19 points a game, and that's because they're so good in the red zone, being a top three red zone defense. Even though teams can move the football, they're only giving up field goals when they get down there inside the 20. And you look back to that week three game with the Philadelphia Eagles. Eagles put up over 470 yards of offense. You would have expected them to put up well over 30 points in that game. They only put up 25, and the reason why was that strong Bucks defense held them to one of five in the red zone. Now, that was a time when the Eagles were really struggling in the red zone. In right. the beginning of the season, they were in the bottom of the league. Then they got a lot stronger in the middle of the year, started to tail off a little bit here at the end, but they did finish with a top 10 red zone offense. But I really see that, the Eagles' red zone offense and the Bucks' red zone defense as being a major deciding factor in this game. The Eagles cannot afford to settle for field goals if they get the ball inside the 20. they got to convert touchdowns because the Eagles' defense has not been very good in the red zone. They are 30th in the NFL in the red zone. So you're going to have really two polar opposite defenses, one that's really good in the red zone, one that's really bad in the red zone. So it's going to be up to that Eagles' offense to convert touchdowns because I think they're going to have to outscore this Bucks team, I can't imagine this defense as bad as they've been being able to completely shut down the Bucks. Let's talk about score. Where do you think this is going to uh, give me the parameters there on, on a score in this game? Uh, they don't score a lot of points, the Bucks. Uh, the Eagles would like to score a lot of points in the game. What's the best you're looking for from the Eagles here in terms of points? And what's the best you think the Bucks can get against this Eagles defense? Yeah, I think if the Eagles could get to 30 points, they're going to win this football game. Absolutely. Now, whether or not I they agree. get there, I don't know. So I think more more likely you may see the Eagles in the mid-20s, similar to what they did last game, mm -hmm. maybe around 27, 28 points. And I think if they could get up that high, that this Tampa Bay Bucks offense, even though the Eagles defense has struggled in recent weeks, right. I think that they could probably keep them under 27 points. But you look at this Eagles defense, they finished the year 30th in the NFL, giving up 25 points a game. Yeah. But I think the key is they got to shut down this running game. The Bucs don't run the ball well. Worst rushing offense in the league. So if they can shut that down and force this Bucs team to get in those third and long situations and actually get off the field on third down, because we talked about how bad they are in the red zone being 30th, they were 31st on third down. But if they can get off the field on third down, I think they can hold the Bucks to under 20 points and get out of here with a victory. And unfortunately, Dave, what I think is going to happen is I think the Eagles are going to torture us for one more week. I think they're going to beat the Bucks, right? And then they're either going to go to San Francisco or yeah. to Dallas, right? <laughs> and that's when they're going to break our hearts. See, that's where I was going to go next. I mean, we're either going to San Francisco, which is going to be potentially really bad given what what they did the last time they played them or they're going to go to Dallas if they you know, and that uh look that's the most heated rivalry in this town it would be wild to watch but I I think they might you know have difficulty with either one of those two teams the way they're playing right now yeah the, the San Francisco 49ers obviously have a great football team and embarrass the Eagles at Lincoln Financial Field. Yeah. You look at the Dallas Cowboys, what's concerning there is you've lost home field advantage. By losing the last two games of the year to the Cardinals and the Giants, you let the Cowboys sneak into the NFC East champion. So now that game won't be in Philly. Mm -hmm. It'll be in Dallas. 
and the Dallas offense has been historically good at home this season, putting up 40 points a game. The numbers right. they're putting up is they've never done it before. As good as the Cowboys have been, they were in the 90s, they've never done what they've done this season at home on offense. So either one of those games in San Fran or in Dallas would be a really tough matchup for this Eagles defense because we talked about it a little earlier. I just think the defense lacks personnel. I don't think it was Sean Desai. I don't think it's Matt Patricia. I wouldn't care if Jim Johnson was the defensive coordinator for this defense. They just don't have the players yeah. like they did last season and in other years, and that's on Howie Rose. Okay. So uh, this week or the following week, if they lose, what happens here? You know, I mean, there's a lot of speculation about what could happen, but you're a pretty realistic individual when it comes to deciding these things. You base it on the facts, what you see in front of you, that kind of thing. Give me your what happens to Nick Sirianni and the coaching staff if they go down this week or the following week. So two weeks ago, before the Giants game, there were people saying that Nick Sirianni was on the hot seat. And I said that that was a severe overreaction. I couldn't imagine that Jeffrey Lurie would move on from a coach who's gotten his team to the playoffs three straight years, first time ever in franchise history that you've had a coach take your team to the playoffs in his first three seasons. They were coming off of a Super Bowl loss. I just gave you the list of coaches who've been able to overcome the quote-unquote Super Bowl hangover. They're legendary coaches. Right. Mm -hmm. So I didn't think it would be fair to say, hey, Sirianni's on the hot seat. Well, that was before what I saw happen in that Giants. And just let me say, I saw that show, and I agreed with you 100% that they would not go there. Yeah. Yeah, I just didn't think it would be a realistic move on Lurie's part. You, would, you don't move on from a guy who's had that much success in three seasons. But what I saw against the Giants appeared to be that there is a team that doesn't believe in their coach anymore. Now, I could be wrong, mm -hmm. but you look at this team and you look at the talent on the offensive side of the football, and something is just not adding up. And for the first time now in Sirianni's tenure, you're seeing cracks in that foundation of a strong culture. You're getting leaks from the locker room that the offense is predictable. You have Jalen Hurts saying in his post-game press conferences, we need to be more committed. He tried to backpedal after he said that. You got A.J. Brown refusing to talk to the media and then holding a press conference at his locker saying, oh, no, no, we still believe in the coaching staff. You have the Eagles having to change defensive coordinators with only four games left. And if you watched Hassan Reddick's press conference last week, he didn't say that was Nick Sirianni's decision. He said, the higher-ups wanted to make the move, and us as players need to do a good – well, I found that interesting, the higher-ups. So mm. is that Nick Sirianni or is that coming from Howie Roseman and Jeffrey Lurie? So at this point, I think if you see this Eagles team go into Tampa and play the way they just played against the New York Giants, I do think Jeffrey Lurie will consider moving on from Nick Sirianni. He's shown that he would do it in the past. This would be pretty quick, mm -hmm. but – it happened to Doug Peterson. He moved on from Chip Kelly that year when it was True. a disaster down the stretch. Yep. Did Sirianni do enough in his first three years to save his job? Maybe. But what you may get, Dave, is you may get Lori and Howie Roseman sitting down with Sirianni saying, listen, you can keep your job, but we want to have a hand in who the next offensive coordinator is. 
We want to be involved in who the next defensive coordinator is. Similar to what they did to Doug Peterson. And Peterson mm-hmm. said, whoa, whoa, whoa. No. This is my team. I'm That's drawing it. a line in the sand. And they and said, well, getting then, rid of my guys. Right. Well, then you're out. So if that was to happen, that's how I could see Sirianni maybe losing his job. But I think a lot of it comes down to what happens in Tampa. They they steal a win in Tampa. I think even if they were to get embarrassed in Dallas or San Fran, I don't think you can move on from a coach that now has won a playoff game in year three, brought you to a Super Bowl in year two, got mm-hmm. you to the playoffs in year one. That maybe would be a little bit too of a knee-jerk move, and Laurie doesn't do that. And listen, he was eleven and six this year. They were ten and one at one point, and everybody was, you know, we can't wait to get to the Super Bowl. Hey, but there was a, also another little crack got exposed this week from a player who used to play for the Eagles. Yesterday, I believe, uh, brought up some stuff about practice, and the stuff he was talking about is, and he was kind of laughing his way through it a little bit, trying to be nice, I think. And he was saying he couldn't believe it when he got. It's the Forty ers correct? Yep. When he got when he got there, he couldn't believe how many days a week they wore the pads and were pounding each other compared to when he was with the Eagles when he basically said they weren't practicing hard. Yeah. You know, what does that say? It, it's interesting. Right before we came on the air, Dave, I was listening to Sirianni's press conference today, and they switched from what would normally be a walkthrough practice. They threw the pads on today for a full <laughs> practice, so a little interesting with the timing uh-huh. of that. Yeah, but it, it's funny because when things are going well, nobody has a problem with what you're doing. So last season, Eagles get to a Super Bowl, same practice schedule, same light training camp. Everybody was touting Nick Sirianni because all 22 opening day starters started in the Super Bowl. Everybody loved Sirianni's taunting of the crowd and looking at the camera and yeah. doing the mugging to the camera. All that was great. We all yeah. loved it. Now that they're losing football games, everybody's questioning. They don't practice hard enough. Sirianni's only a cheerleader. What is he doing taunting the crowd? So it is funny how winning cures a lot of issues. But <laughs> no I'm okay that. with the light practice schedule. I, yeah. I really am. I was always one of the guys who said, I don't need them wearing pads. I don't need them beating the hell out of each other in training camp, these guys, your body starts to get older. I mean, I only Mm. played in the college ranks. I never got to the pros. I was nowhere near good enough. Mm. But I just know that was before the NCAA passed the rules that said you can't do double sessions on back-to-back days. We used to do triple sessions. Mm. And there were times by the time we got to the opening day, my legs were shot, man. And I was, you know, a 20-year-old kid. These guys who were in their 30s, I'm okay with getting them off their feet. They know they should know how to tackle. I know this defense has struggled lately, but for me, I don't have a problem with the light work schedule, with the light practice schedule. It worked last year, and no one had a problem with it last right. year. But now, mm-hmm. when things go bad, we want to blame everything. So yeah. I'm okay with it. All right, listen, we talked a lot about the Eagles today and the game coming up, and uh, wish them the best Monday night. But let me ask you, I cannot, I would be remiss if I got away from this today. Um, three coaching legends gone. In like a 24-hour period, Pete Carroll leaving the Seattle Seahawks. Nick Saban leaves Alabama. And now the word out that uh, Bill Belichick is gone from the Patriots. Um, Dude, that's some serious coaching legends right there leaving. I came up watching Pete Carroll at USC as a coach and all that. I'm just curious what you think about those three. I'll call them icons because to me they are um, in the coaching world. 
absolute icons. Whether you like them or not, you can't deny that these guys have been some of the best coaches, if not the best coaches, over the last 15 to 20 years. Mm -hmm. Nick Saban, what he did at Alabama, unbelievable. And we all kind of knew that Nick Saban was closer to the end. He's 72 years old. I don't think anyone expected it to be this soon. Mm -hmm. But I really think Saban looked around at the new NCAA and the NILs and the transfer portal and said, you know what? I'm out. I I don't like the landscape of the NCAA right now. I've done what I needed to do. I'm moving on. And then you look at Pete Carroll from his words, he still wanted to be the head coach of the Seahawks and they kind of talked him out of it. There's been some reports. He's going to stay there in some role. I've seen other reports refuting that. So we'll see what he decides to do. But the really interesting one is Bill Belichick because I don't see Belichick being a guy that is content retiring. Hmm. He will be 72 years old at the start of the NFL season next year, but there's a lot of teams interested. And a few weeks ago on my show, I was talking about some landing spots for Belichick because I think all of us saw this coming. Mm -hmm. And there's two that immediately popped to mind for me. And the number one is the L.A. Chargers. I could see the L.A. Chargers being a great spot for Belichick because they have the young franchise quarterback in Justin Herbert. And I don't care how good of a coach you are, you can't survive bad quarterback play. And that's the reason Belichick couldn't have any success without Brady. They haven't had a good quarterback. That's why he's going. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I could see him maybe going to the Chargers. Another name that keeps getting floated around that would have an impact on the Eagles is the Washington Commanders. Mm -hmm. Could Belichick be coming to the NFC East? We know Josh Harris all too well, being the owner of the Sixers, would love to make a splash like that. The question for me is, does Belichick believe in Sam Howe as the quarterback? Because I don't think he's mm-hmm. going to want to, even though the commanders have the number two draft pick. I was going to say they have number draft. two pick, yeah. Hmm. I don't see Belichick wanting to take a chance again on a rookie quarterback that you have to wait for him to develop. Mm-hmm. There's no sure thing. We've seen it over and over again in the draft right. on who the quarterback's going to become. Look at Bryce Young this year. Mm-hmm. So for me, if I'm Belichick, I could see him going to the Chargers with an already established quarterback. But keep your eye on the Patriots. Another team, the Falcons get talked about. Same mm-hmm. issue, though. Mm-hmm. They don't have a young quarterback. Desmond Ritter, I don't think, is the answer. No. Some people have thrown out the Carolina Panthers. I don't think there's a chance in hell Bill Belichick will go work for Dave Tepper in Carolina. He looks like one of the worst owners in the league, throwing drinks on fans. Oh, boy, that got everybody going last week, right? Uh, And and if you read the stories, Dave, about what he did to Frank Reich, it seems like that place is a disaster. So, hey, say what you will. I get mad at Howie Roseman and Jeffrey Lurie sometimes. We've lucked out. The Eagles have a very well-run organization. They've had a lot of success over the years. If you think things are bad, just look at what's going on in Carolina, and thank God that's not the Philadelphia Eagles. All right, give me your score for this week. You know, I still got some more analysis to do, but I'll give you my preliminary. I know. it's early. It's, we're not quite to the weekend yeah. yet. Go ahead. <laughs> so I'm still looking at it, but I do think they're going to win this football game. I have no reason to believe it. When you look at the last six, you know, the, the Eagles are trending down and the, and the Bucks are trending upward, but I still think they're going to win. I just think they have a better roster on both sides of the football. As bad as the Eagles' defense is, I still think that they can stop this Bucks offense. Baker Mayfield is not a superstar by any means. And you mentioned the leaders earlier. I do mm-hmm. think the leaders will get them up for this game. If I had to put a score on it right now, I have the Eagles winning 27-17. 
Don't think they're going to do much after that, but I do think they win this wild card game. Really lucked out when you look at it, Dave. I mean, mm-hmm. they got the worst NFC playoff team in the Bucs. Anybody else, I would have probably picked against the Eagles, but the Bucs aren't a good football team. Eagles lucked out. All right, I'm going to agree with you. I'm going to say 23-10 Eagles. I think the defense, uh, there is no running game from the Buccaneers. I think they have to come up and do a, a great job on those two wide receivers for the Bucs. If they do that, I could see them holding them down score-wise. They don't score a lot of points to begin with. Yep. And I would love to see the Eagles get at least 23 points this week, given what we've seen the last few weeks. So I'll go 23-10. We both agree on a victory. Bill, let me tell you, so much fun you coming on. I love talking sports. We don't do it that often, uh, that kind of thing. Last time I did it was with the Fanatic, who happens to be a neighbor of mine. And we talked about the Phillies run last year. Um, so thanks for coming on the show. Good luck with your shows, the Legal Hands to the Face podcast. Have fun with that and enjoy yourself, my man. I appreciate you coming on. Uh, I appreciate you having me, man, anytime. All right, and tell your pops I said hey. Will do. And as always, man, go birds. All right, talk to you then. That's it for the Philly Prime Podcast this week, folks. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time around.